Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. All right, now I'm going to talk briefly about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And keep in mind that all the money from these sponsors goes towards hiring outdoor journalism interns. This year, we've hired three interns and paid them $15 per hour. And over the course of this podcast, we've hired seven different interns, not only helping us report on Oregon's outdoors, but also teaching young college students journalistic skills that they can carry forward. Plus, it's a pretty fun internship anyway. They get to travel outdoors, report about the environment. It's a good gig, and these sponsors make it possible. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we get rolling. So this part you'll recognize. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that is focusing this summer on the best way to care for its forest, beaches, and waterways through a promotion that emphasizes cleaning up and leaving no trace. We'll dive into how they do that just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages Oregonians to enjoy parks safely this summer. If you're camping, please follow campfire safety guidelines, such as keeping the flames from your fire to no more than two feet in height and using the fire ring provided at your campsite. And please use local wood to avoid bringing invasive insects into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about campfire safety guidelines, including current restrictions, at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we're focusing on the Mount Jefferson Wilderness. I'm going to highlight some fantastic trips and my five favorite mountain lakes before replaying one of my favorite old podcasts that spotlights the many wildfires of the Jefferson area. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, well, in this episode, I'm going to focus on the Mount Jefferson Wilderness area because look, between now and the beginning of October is a great time to backpack there. It's easily one of the most beautiful places to backpack in the States. And right now we're coming into prime season because the mosquitoes are just beginning to thin out. So to highlight this area properly, I'm going to start off with a handful of my favorite trips there, including one that I just returned from. I'm also going to have some news and suggestions after the three-year wildfire closure up there, just so you know what's going on before you head out. And then in the second half, I'm going to play one of my favorite old episodes that we recorded back in 2021. In it, guidebook author and Jefferson expert Matt Reeder and I talked about our favorite places in the Jefferson with an emphasis on the wildfires that have burned there. But fingers crossed, there is no fire there now and hardly any smoke. So it's a pretty good time to visit. Real quick, if you want to backpack here, you do need a Central Cascades Wilderness Permit for any overnight trip. You get them at recreation.gov, and it's going to apply to pretty much everything we talk about, and I don't want to mention it 50 million times. So get your permits, know what you're doing before you head out. All right, well, let's start by talking about the northern half of the Jefferson that burned in the Lion's Head Fire of 2020. So the good news is that it has reopened and people are really returning this summer to places like Jefferson Park and along the Pacific Crest Trail. Those are the only two areas I can really vouch for. The rest of the trails are open as well, technically, but I haven't laid eyes on places like Triangulation Peak, Bear Point, or the South Brighton Bush Trail. I haven't heard much about them either. I know they burned, but as far as what's worth visiting, the only place I can really recommend is Jefferson Park. Amazingly, while everything around it burned, 
the alpine lakes, the wildflower meadows did not. It's kind of miraculous, actually. So it remains, as ever, the most scenic place to backpack. If you've ever been there, you know how the mountain fills up half the sky. Multiple lakes are surrounded by wildflowers, and there are plenty of campsites. The trick is how to get there. The three closest options include Woodpecker Trailhead, Pamelia Lake Trailhead, or the PCT Brightonbush Lake Trailhead. They kind of all come at it from different vantage points from the south, kind of the southwest and the north. They're all going to take you through Burn Forest to Jefferson Park. Make sure to bring sunscreen and hike early in the morning because hiking in wildfire scars in August can get hot and very exposed. So of the three options that I mentioned, Woodpecker is the shortest drive and the shortest hike. The permits look like they're a little hard to score, so if you don't get Woodpecker, you could always come in from Pamelia Lake, which is a little bit farther of a hike and drive. So for example, Woodpecker is about five to six miles one way, maybe a little bit more. And Pamelia Lake is about seven to eight miles one way to get to Jefferson Park. The most scenic route to Jefferson Park was historically the PCT Brightonbush Trailhead that comes in from the north. And it's just because you're you're walking towards it, the mountain's right in your face as, as you're heading to it. It's just a really scenic stretch of the Pacific Crest Trail. But at this point, it's totally exposed by the burn, and to get there, you have to drive the legendarily awful Road 4220. It's really a high-clearance road. It's very rough. You have to drive pretty slowly so you don't, you know, destroy your vehicle. It's pretty bad. But if you choose to do that route, and there actually are plenty of permits uh, to be had there, so it's, it's definitely the easiest one to get in that sense, you know, just know it's going to be a rough drive. Uh, but the trail is beautiful although exposed by the burn. One final thing to add is that the traditional closest trailhead for Jefferson Park, uh, which enters via Whitewater Trailhead, is expected to reopen at some point this fall, but who knows when that happens. So for now, you're coming in via Woodpecker, Pamelia Lake, or the PCT Brightonbush Trailheads to reach those alpine meadows and lakes of Jefferson Park. Okay, well, if you don't want to hike in burn zones, I have got a great backpacking loop for you. I finally got around to hiking the fabled Pamelia Lake, Hunts Cove, Shale Lake, PCT loop over the last weekend, or you could just refer to it as the Grand Loop, which is what I'm going to do in an upcoming story that breaks it down. So this loop is roughly 22 miles long with about 4,000 feet of climb, and it's pretty challenging, but it takes in some of the best sites of the Jefferson. And again, my favorite thing is that there's no burn here and lots of shade on the trail. So when you're carrying your heavy pack up those some of those steep trails, at least you're in the shade and that makes a huge difference. So the route begins at Pamelia Lake Trailhead, which as I just mentioned is one possible way to get to Jefferson Park, but that's not what you're going to do here. So right, you start at Pamelia Lake and then head up past the lake and into this kind of upper canyon that's defined by Hunts Creek coming down. It's, you know, this really old growth green area as you're getting higher up into this forested canyon. There's waterfalls that drop onto the trail. There's a couple creek crossings. It's really a beautiful little spot. And it ends for your first night in the basin of Hunts Cove. So it's a really enchanted little forested area. You can pick either Hanks Lake or Hunts Lake. Those are the two main lakes in here, in my opinion, Hunts Lake, the one that you have to go all the way back to to find, is superior. So that's that's that was just the prettiest lake of the two. It did clearer water. Um, it was just the, the lake that I liked. But, you know, you can check out Hanks Lake, too. So that first day is seven miles total, and it climbs about 2,400 feet. Okay, so the real gem here is day two. This is the most scenic day of the loop by far. So you hike back the way you came out of Hunts Cove and you take a left onto trail 3440. And what's it, what it's gonna do is it's gonna climb up what's called Lizard Ridge. It's basically just a bunch of swishbacks in the forest. You climb and climb and after about a thousand feet, you'll reach a trail junction, one of the first of many. Basically, when you're following this route, you're just gonna always wanna veer towards the Pacific Crest Trail. After you've reached this ridge, the next 1.7 miles are just stunning. You get views of Hunts Cove below with Mount Jefferson rising dramatically overhead. And then you'll travel through this just beautiful alpine meadows until you finally connect with the Pacific Crest Trail. 
So your camp for the night is another 1.7 miles away, and that's up the trail at Shale or Coyote Lake. Both lakes are pretty small, but they have good water and they have plenty of campsites. I actually got lucky and scored the only campsite at Shale Lake, and it was amazing. One of my favorite campsites overall in Oregon's backcountry. Shale Lake is this beautiful little turquoise pool. Jefferson rises right over the top of it. It's clear water. It's great swimming. Shale Lake is fantastic, but it's also pretty small. Coyote Lake has more campsites, and they're some really good ones, but Coyote Lake does tend to, to dry up a little bit. The lake is still there, um, but it's just not as enjoyable to swim and play around in as Shale Lake. So overall, day two, about as good as it gets. The total stats on that one are it's 6.1 miles with 1,419 feet of climb. So that's day two. Day three is a lot less dramatic. Uh, you're basically just following the PCT all the way back downhill towards Pamelia Lake to finish up the loop. It's the longest day at over eight miles, but it's all downhill, so it's not too big of a deal. So that's kind of the Pamelia Hunts Shale Lakes loop. Again, it's about 22 miles and 4,000 feet of climb. Not easy, but no killer days either. The camps are spaced out pretty nicely. It's about the perfect backpacking loop. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, but we'll return with Matt and I talking about the wildfires and cool places of the Jefferson. So that's when we return. I'm Tiffany Roddy with Roseburg Forest Products. As a professional forester, I was drawn to Oregon by the trees and the vastness of Oregon's majestic outdoors. I'm proud to work for a family-owned, fully integrated wood products company with a deep commitment to our industry and our communities. Roseburg's sustainably managed timberlands are open for recreation and provide natural wood products that help make people's lives better from the ground up. We are proud members of AFRC, sponsor of the Explore Oregon podcast. Learn more at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. On the Tillamook Coast, we've cared for our forests, farmlands, beaches, and waterways for generations. It's in our DNA, and we bet it's in yours too. While visiting, help us care for our coast. Place trash in garbage cans, pick up after your pet, stay on trails, respect private property, and follow beach fire rules, which means extinguishing fires with water while also checking local rules to avoid igniting wildfires. Tillamook Coast welcomes your visit, and we hope that you'll become a temporary local while here. A few ways to do that include pitching in on a beach cleanup or taking a guided kayak tour to hear about ways to protect bays and rivers. There are science hikes to take, nature preserves and marine reserves to explore, or you can visit a farm, a commercial fishing dock, or even stop by a fish hatchery. Find out about all these options and how to care for our coast at tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. Once again, it's tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. Okay, welcome back. Okay, here's the episode that I recorded two years ago with Matt Reeder who's authored a number of books, many of which feature the Mount Jefferson area. Really, few people know the Mount Jefferson area better than Matt does. I'll do my best to cut out the parts that are no longer relevant because we were talking about this during that time period when Jefferson Park was still closed, when there was still that big closure on the northern half of the wilderness areas. So I'll try to cut out that stuff, but if you hear something that's not that no longer applies, just feel free to ignore it. Okay, hope you enjoy this, and as ever, Thanks for listening. All right, in this episode, we're traveling to one of my favorite places in Oregon, the Mount Jefferson Wilderness. Originally established in 1968 and encompassing 111,000 acres, this vast backcountry of alpine lakes and wildflower meadows features two dynamic mountains, the namesake Mount Jefferson and the awesomely named Three Finger Jack. 
This wilderness showcases hundreds of miles of trail, and to help us talk about the best and most interesting spots, we're joined by Matt Reeder, author of many excellent guidebooks, including 101 Hikes in the Majestic Mount Jefferson Region. Matt, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> All right, so Matt, you and I have spent a ton of time in the Jeff Wilderness, and you even wrote a book about it. For you, what makes it stick out among the other wilderness areas and backcountry areas in Oregon? What makes, it, what makes this place special for you? Well, I grew up in Salem, so I was able to see it out of my window um, growing up. Obviously, I have a personal connection to it from a young age. But for me also, what makes it special is it's just a very complex terrain. It has a lot of lakes, a lot of waterfalls. Mount Jefferson, being a heavily eroded volcano, looks different from every angle. So you can hike in the wilderness your whole life, and every angle of the mountain is just slightly different, which I find interesting. Plus, you have three-fingered jack also, which it provides almost like a point-counterpoint when you're in the wilderness. On one side of the wilderness is Mount Jefferson, and on the other side is three-fingered jack. And um, you're somewhere close to either mountain, no matter where you are in the wilderness. I also love the vast amount of backcountry terrain that is not even on trail. There's an awful lot to see off trail as well, which I won't be getting into much. But, um, and last but not least, I love, I just love the lakes in the wilderness. There's just an endless number of beautiful lakes to visit. And I'll be talking about a bunch of those today. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all those points. Those are, those are all really interesting points. I didn't, I didn't even thought about like how Mount Jefferson totally does look completely different, especially the West to the East side. Um, I guess my favorite thing is that I don't live that far away now. I live, you know, just out in the Sanium Canyon. And so it's really nice. I'm only about an hour away that you can just wake up early, you know, drive maybe an hour and change out there and then really get immersed in a quality wilderness experience. And then you can get out and get home for dinner time if you want to. It's a very accessible uh, wilderness area, despite the fact that once you're out there, you really feel like you're out there and all the hikes are good. There's no duds in the Jefferson. So for me, I mean, it's just the accessibility and the quality of the experience, I think. But let's talk about what we're going to cover in today's podcast. So per usual, Matt and I are going to each pick five of our favorite spots and then talk about what makes them cool. And the reason is that wildfire is just a big part of the Jefferson story. This wilderness has experienced seven wildfires since 2003, including some of the most high profile in state history, Lion's Head, B&B, Whitewater, to name just a few. So we're going to dive into how those fires and burn scars interact with our favorite places. So Matt, you've been hiking the Jeff, you know, most of your life, like you said. How do you think about wildfire in this area? It's, uh, I'm of two minds on the wildfire. Uh, story. Uh, on one hand, I, I acknowledge that it's uh, that fire is a necessary part of a forest ecosystem. And uh, I understand that. And I am at peace with most of the fire scars. On the other hand, I, I also, you know, I, I'm going to be sad. I'm just going to be sad about some places in particular, um, which I'll get into. Because I, I mean, I grew up seeing a place look one way and now it looks just very different. And that that's hard to digest. And one way that they stick out, I mean, Whitewater Trail was one of the first for me that like, you know, you got used to that green tunnel and then you came back after the Whitewater fire and it was totally transformed, felt like a completely different place. And, and that was sad, like you were mentioning. At the same time, now I'm struck. I've been hiking through some of the places that haven't been burned in the Jefferson. And when you look around, you notice an awful lot of fuel on the ground, like a place that probably historically would have had those low intensity fires and burned it out. And, you know, you see just a lot of dead trees and, and, and stuff laying around. And then when you go into some of the burn scars, you do notice how the fire has really cleaned it up. So, man, I'm, I'm like you. There's there's just really kind of a tug and pull, you know, a pull and push about how you, how you look at it and its, its legacy there. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, having grown up in Salem, I, I visited several of the places I'll be talking about as a kid and before the BNB fire, because um, I'm 40 now. So I was growing up during the 90s. And so, I mean, I, for example, I visited Canyon Creek Meadows as a child. And I remember just the forest all the way through the hike and seeing, I mean, and that hike hasn't even burned that badly, but seeing it now is just fascinating. 
and seeing the recovery too in the 18 years since that fire. And I'll talk about that more when we talk about Canyon Creek Meadows, but it's just interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's never the same. There, there's, there's different aspects and different burn scars and different burn severity. So there, there's a lot going on there. So why don't we just jump into these favorite places and kind of talk through it as we get to them. So we are going to stick mostly to places that are currently open and that will be open next summer uh, with a few exceptions. So you ready to get going, Matt? Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to get us started with a well-known place that, of course, breaks our rules right out of the bat, and that is Jefferson Park, the uh, most famous spot in the Jeff Wilderness by far uh, with its cluster of wildflower meadows, alpine lakes that are nestled like directly below Mount Jefferson itself. Incidentally, while researching the story, I learned that the name Jefferson Park uh, originally was established by Judge John B. Waldo, uh, the kind of rambling politician and judge from Oregon's pioneer days who stopped there in 1870. So previously, it was known as Hanging Valley, uh, a name lacking in descriptive quality and appropriateness, according to the Oregon geographic name. So Waldo just gave it the new new name. It's always been kind of a funky name. Um, so I was curious about that. But now when it comes to Jeff Park in the northern half of the wilderness, the big fire that we're talking about now is, is the Lion's Head fire. Uh, the eighth largest fire in state history at over 200,000 acres. Obviously, we wrote a lot about it when it happened, but what do you remember about Lion's Head? Had you been watching it carefully? Because for me, it was flying under the radar a little bit at that point, but what what do you remember about Lion's Head? Oh, I remember a lot, actually. Um, I paid very, very close attention to both Lion's Head and Beachy, which we won't talk about, but... Um... I, I paid very, very close attention to the lion's head because of how close it was to Jefferson Park. There had been a, a fire right in the same area as the lion's head back in 2012 called the Waterfalls 2 fire. And uh, the, um, the poor, and the, which thankfully burned away from the park and did not burn any, pretty much any of the wilderness. And I, I remembered at the time that Jefferson Park had gotten lucky. And then in 2017, with the Whitewater fire, I noted again that Jefferson Park had gotten lucky. Um, and not just lucky, obviously, due to the careful and heroic efforts of firefighters as well. But I, I, I was paying attention to the lion's head because of where it is. And the lion, lion's head is a, a rock formation, mountain slash rock formation on the reservation, on the Warm Springs Reservation. And I knew that if a wind shifted, it could t put the fire right onto Park Ridge, which puts it right above, put it right above the park. But... Interestingly enough, also, I was on Park Ridge um, above Jefferson Park four days before the Lions had started. Well, it, it for me, it was just a little bit under the radar just because Beachy Creek that you mentioned started at the same time. There was the, the same lightning storm right around August 16th uh, that ignited both of them. And again, you know, it was on the Warm Springs Reservation east of Mount Jefferson. And so it just wasn't it didn't seem like as much of a threat to me because I was looking at the Beachy Creek fire, which was an Opal Creek area closer to populated areas and had brought evacuations and closures and stuff like that. So I didn't think a whole lot about it, but I remember the exact moment that changed. On that Saturday before Labor Day, uh, I was in the Olali Scenic area and climbed up one of my favorite peaks, uh, Potato Butte, which has a great view of Jefferson. And as I was climbing up, I saw what I thought was just a cloud in the sky but as I got higher, I could see it was just just growing protocumulus cloud from the lion's head fire that was really waking up. And it was one of those moments you remember because I knew there was a major east wind event that was supposed to hit the next day. And you could see this huge fire and knew what was coming. And you were just like, oh, man, this this is going to be bad. Um, the Forest Service actually closed down and evacuated the Jeff Wilderness that weekend. And I gave a ride to a couple uh, Pacific Crest trail through hikers. I, you know, got them off the trail and brought them around to Detroit. And one of them asked was like, do you think this is going to make national news? And I was like, oh, probably not. I mean, this is Oregon, you know, I mean, we have fires, but they usually stay up in, you know, the wilderness. And then that I was just dead wrong that Monday, 90 mile per hour winds in some areas hit that fire and it ran in a way I don't think any other fire in Oregon history has ever run burning all the way from Mount Jefferson to the city of Detroit, where it destroyed 260 buildings. So that fire ran about 20 miles in just a few hours, really, which is flat out insane. Like the run of that fire is something they're going to study in school when it comes to just the raw power of modern wildfires. So, all right, sorry, that went a little bit long. Uh, no, after okay. all, 
yeah. Any thoughts on that on, on Lion's Head or anything? Or are you ready to take us to, to happier territory with uh, with your first pick? Well, both actually. I, I will I will make the transition for you. Um, the last time I visited the west side of the Jefferson Wilderness was the first day of September last year. I had to go check my calendar and my calendar from last year and noted, and that was when I went to Marion Lake. And uh, since you mentioned the Lion's Head fire, I, I started to really worry about it. When I hiked Marion Lake last year on the first day of September, which was about five or six days before the fire really blew up. And um, so Marion Lake um, has a reputation for having no view of Mount Jefferson, and that is entirely not true. Um, the, the view of Jefferson at Marion Lake, you need to follow user trails around the south side of the lake to get the view of Jefferson. And so I noted when I when I wandered around to the view of Jefferson on the south side of the lake, I could see the Lion's Head fire starting to blow up right next to the mountain. And I thought, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. So Marion Lake, um, and I will let you introduce Marion Lake if you want, but Marion Lake is one of my favorite places. And to me now might be one of the most sacred places in the entire wilderness. Mm-hmm. So this is your first pick. This may, you're yeah, going with Marion Lake. That's your Marion Lake. So yep. for you, what, what, I mean, it's one of those places that's for a generation of Oregonians, man, they, they love it. It's really the place they think of, but for you, what, what makes Marion Lake so special and that hike so special? Well, so there's a lot. So Marion Lake isn't, isn't just Marion Lake. The thing that's so wonder, the thing that's so wonderful about that hike is that there's, not only obviously is the forest mostly unburned um, even now, but um, it, there's a lot to see there that isn't immediately apparent to people when they hike. And the only way to truly experience Marion Lake is to go over and over and over again at different seasons. And, and I've had the opportunity to visit all throughout the year, even once in February during the uh, infamous winter of 2015, when there was almost no snowpack for a lot of the winter, I, I managed to sneak in there in February and there was almost no snow and we were the only ones there. And uh, I saw a pair of river otters playing in the lake. And that was really wonderful. But like you visit Marion Lake in the fall and it's got, in my opinion, the nicest display of vine maple, of uh, vine maple that's red, that turns red in the fall, anywhere in the Cascades that I've been, period. And you visit, anytime you go there, there's something to see. And it's got a phenomenal view of Mount Jefferson that most people don't know about. And of course, there's Marion Falls, which a lot of people don't visit, which to me is the uh, best waterfall in the entire Jefferson wilderness. Yeah, Marion Lake has a lot going for it. What are the statistics on, on Marion Lake? Because it's a, it's not a, a super difficult one either. That's part of the appeal. It's You can get up there with kids and stuff like that. Well, so if you're just going to the lake without stopping at the falls, because it, it's, par- it's a partial loop. So I always go um, and do the loop plus the waterfall. And that ends up being about six, six and a half miles and about a thousand feet of elevation gain. Mm-hmm. But if you're just going direct to the lake, um, when you, it's about four miles round trip and about 900 feet of elevation gain, of which is all very well graded. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, Marion Lake, it's it's definitely um, a really cool place. Uh, definitely lodged in the heart of a lot of Salem residents. So for my second pick, um, I guess Jefferson Park was kind of my first pick, even though it's not open. So my first pick that's actually open is going to be Duffy and Sanium Lakes. And I'm picking those. They're pretty famous, pretty well-known lakes. They're about a mile and a half, two miles apart. Um, They're two that haven't had a lot of interaction with fire, especially if you begin at the Duffy Lake Trailhead. Uh, You do need that overnight or day-use permit to get in there. Uh, But again, midweek, I've been successful at getting permits, even for the popular Jefferson Lakes and stuff. You go midweek, you can usually get them. Uh, So from the trailhead, it's it's 3.3 miles of hiking through some nice old-growth forest to Duffy Lake which has a lot of great campsites there. It's a beautiful lake sitting just below, you know, the craggy Duffy Butte. To get to Sanium Lake uh, you, from Duffy Lake, you just hang a right and head south on the Sanium Lake Trail, and you'll eventually reach a really glorious blue lake with just a knockout view of Three Finger Jack overhead. I just spent a great night there, like yesterday, and it was, it was really nice. Uh, caught some rainbow trout. Uh, other people were catching fish there as well. There was nice campsites along the shore. Sanium Lake is also the headwaters of the North Sanium River. So it's kind of fun to like fish and swim in what ultimately becomes Salem's drinking water source. And yeah, overall, Sanium Lake, this might be recency bias, but it, I don't know. It might be one of my favorite spots uh, just for like a quick overnight trip that you can kind of get in and get out. 
Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to the High Cascade Force volunteers uh, who did a ton of work opening up the Sanium Lake Trail after that Labor Day windstorm. It didn't just cause the fire to blow up, it knocked down a ton of trees. And so some of the other trails up there, like the Dixie Lake Trail, are in pretty rough shape. Uh, so give a shout out to your local trail crew uh, anytime because they make it possible to get in there. Matt, anything that jumps out to you about uh, Duffy or Sanium that you, you'd want to add? Oh, so much. Um, so when I when I go to Sanium, like I often go from Sanium Pass instead, and it's about the same distance. But um, I just really like the ability to hike right underneath um, Three Finger Jack from that direction. And so I often go that way. And it's, it's a longer drive, but I, I just love the trail through there. There's a really large meadow on the trail to Sanium Lake that's almost like, I mean, you could land an airplane. It's that big. Mm-hmm. And it's just really neat. It's, it's very dashy and dusty. And it's, it's, it's hard to describe without actually visiting it. But it, it's a really neat spot. And that way you can also visit Burley Lakes, um, which are two of my favorite lakes in the entire wilderness on the, on the way to Sanium. But as far as Duffy, you know, I love Duffy Lake. And it's interesting that it, it never seems to be any more or less popular. Like, it's always been popular. I backpacked to Duffy Lake for the first time when I was 14, when it was still 100% green. There had been, it was before the B&B fire. And it, it was very green and very beautiful. And it looks almost identical now. Like, and it's all the pop, it was popular then and it's popular now, but it's not more popular now the way that some places are. Yeah. So it's just interesting. And it's just a very easy and peaceful hike. Yeah. I, I, you know, I actually wanted to do that route to uh, Sanium that you mentioned. I think it's a little harder to get permits for that because that's like a, a Pacific Crest trailhead. Um, yes, I've had, is. I've had issues getting, especially overnight permits because there's, I think PCT segment hikers have been taking it up. So I wanted to go that route, but I ended up going Duffy, uh, just cause that's where I could get the permits. And it's um, a, a 20 minutes quicker drive for you too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is also very cool. So, all right. Why don't you take us to your second pick? Where are you taking us with, uh, with number two? Oh, so this is this is um, way off the beaten trail for most people. And this is the Jefferson Lake Trail on the northeast corner of the wilderness. So we're going all the way um, across the wilderness into the far northeast corner. And so the Jefferson Lake Trail is one of the most interesting trails in the entire wilderness. And not a lot of people hike it. It's um, even the directions online to get there aren't necessarily accurate. I, to access the Jefferson Lake Trail, I follow the Metolius River Road all the way to Lower Bridge Campground and then cross the bridge at Lower Bridge and drive up that road past Lower Bridge. And once you get up there, you just follow the directions for four miles, follow the signs to the Jefferson Lake Trailhead. So, Zach, you did a story about um, this trail uh, a couple of years ago about two very, very large Rocky Mountain Douglas fir trees that had fallen right at the trailhead, basically. Yeah. And these were the two, as I recall, the one on the left side of the trail was the largest Rocky Mountain Douglas fir in the country mm-hmm. until it fell. And amazingly, the uh, Forest Service sent in a crew and they they sawed out a, a gap between these two trees so that you could continue hiking the trail. And what makes this so interesting to me aside from the, you know, the historic trees that were there and that had fallen was that, so the forest service abandoned this trail after the BNB fire, the trail was abandoned. People were discouraged from visiting and it took a, uh, uh, I don't know exactly who, but a group of volunteers about five years to reopen this trail all the way deep into the wilderness. And it's a nine mile trail. So it's not just like, a mile or two. It's nine miles all the way back to its terminus on the Cabot Lake Trail, about a mile south of Table Lake. And so what's happened is that why the Forest Service abandoned it after the BNB fire. So the BNB fire, which we're going to talk about in a moment, was a, a catastrophic fire. It was like the first very catastrophic fire in the wilderness. But what grew up afterwards in the areas that burned terribly was a plant called Ceanothus, more commonly known as snowbrush. And snowbrush, once it starts growing, it's very difficult to put down. And so in parts of the east side of the wilderness, and in even a few spots on the west side, there are areas where the ceanothus grows 
over the height of a person's head, typically oh. eight feet high, yeah. and it is impenetrable. It, it's not like even it's not even like rhododendron. You can plow your way through rhododendron. Ceanothus, you cannot plow your way through it. And so people had gotten lost trying to hike this trail before it was resurrected. And a group of volunteers just put the time in because they love this trail and they resurrected it and now it's followable again. But what makes the trail special isn't just that it, where it is. It follows a geologically recent lava flow for a lot of its route. So you've got phenomenal views of the north of the east side of Jefferson above a lava flow, and then it gets deeper and deeper into the wilderness, into a side that most people don't get. And because of where it is, you can access it earlier and later in the year than most of the other trails because it sits in its own sort of rain shadow. And so, of course, it doesn't actually go to Jefferson Lake, despite its name, which is also interesting. But the section, just the two-mile section along the lava flow before Cougar Spring is really pretty and really interesting and very unique for the wilderness. Yeah, I have to agree. It, it is very unique. And then having those, like like you were referencing the trail uh, or the, the giant trees that they cut out the little segment, it's, it's really interesting to see those gigantic trees down and then this like little slot cut between them. It's just, yeah, it's just a unique place. But, you know, you mentioned the B&B &B fire. And uh, didn't you you you, were, you mentioned that the being one of the one of the two BNB fires started in this area? The BNB fire were two fires that started in the same at the same time on the east side of the Jefferson Wilderness. One at Booth Lake, which is just south of Three Finger Jack, and the other at Bear Butte, which is right almost at the northeast corner of the wilderness area. And so the Jefferson Lake Trail was probably the first trail to burn in the fire. And so the Jefferson Lake Trail there really just got hammered, mm -hmm. absolutely hammered, as did its uh, partner trail, the Sugar Pine Ridge Trail, which was uh, always used to make a loop into the Jefferson Wilderness with Jefferson Lake and Sugar Pine Ridge. And both of those trails just got hammered. Gotcha. And so the Jefferson Lake Trail was painstakingly restored over the years. Um, but the Sugar Pine Ridge Trail has been a permanently abandoned and uh, will likely never be brought back. Yeah, well, and you bring up an interesting thing about, you know, how impactful the B&B &B complex was on the Jefferson Wilderness. So just to give, you know, a little bit of background, a little context on the fire. So it eventually burned 88,000 acres, which and it was really one of those signature moments for Oregon. It came on the heels of the 500,000 acre biscuit fire. And it sort of established this new era of bigger and more powerful wildfires than we'd seen in the state since like the Tillamook burn back in the 30s. Uh, John Bailey, a professor at Oregon State, called the B&B &B complex kind of the canary in the coal mine for Oregon wildfires. And it's easy to see why it just heralded this new era of what was possible. Matt, you talked about how it started. It's also worth noting that a lot was happening when this fire took off. George W. Bush was actually visiting Redmond, and he actually flew out in a helicopter to look at the fire because it was kind of this new thing for the Pacific Northwest. It was a, a fire that showed you this extreme behavior that we now, unfortunately, kind of take for granted. Uh, so in the name, uh, and as you said, Matt, it was a combination of two fires, the, the Bear Butte fire and the Booth fire both ignited by lightning in mid-August. Uh, by August 19th, they'd kind of grown separately to 22,000 acres. But the craziest fire behavior came in early September, as often happens. On September 4th, the two fires merged and threw up a protocumulus cloud that rose 34,000 feet above Sanium Pass. There's a picture we have of that moment, and it's, it's really striking. The issue was that gusts of wind were hitting it from both the east and the west side. So the fire would roar in one direction and then turn around and make like a 180 and roar back in the opposite direction. It was really hazardous for firefighters. Uh, Brad Peterson, he's a wilderness ranger for the Detroit district who's working the fire. He told me, we'd never seen a fire behave like that before. A fire that could eat square miles overnight and create its own weather. It felt like something new. So it really was something new. It would, again, eventually burn 88,000 acres, much of it in the wilderness. And you can still see the burn scar pretty clearly everywhere you go in the Jeff, even almost 20 years later. The severity of the burn kind of varies from place to place. But Matt, wouldn't you say it's kind of like uh, this mark that sort of defines Jefferson? Oh, absolutely. I, I, You can't go almost anywhere in the wilderness. I mean, I guess I'm still using the present tense. You couldn't go anywhere in the wilderness 
before the before the lions had fire and not notice a scar from the bnb and now especially it's interesting because the bnb now is almost like the the granddaddy of fires in the wilderness and now we're going to have new scars that look more severe whereas the bnb now the scar is still very apparent but it's also met with a lot of green from from brush that's growing back and yeah it is you you can't help but notice it almost anywhere you go So in the last segment, we talked about the B&B complex, this catastrophic, very important wildfire. And no place sums that up better, I think, than my next pick, number three. I'm going with the Eight Lakes Basin. And it's a really interesting place to look at for post-fire uh, recovery. It's uh, The Eight Lakes Basin is a collection of alpine lakes, including Jorn, Blue, uh, Bowerman, Tito, a whole bunch of them just kind of all nestled right together. Um, you actually start at the same trailhead I talked about earlier, the Duffy Lake trailhead, um, and then you just hike past Duffy Lake. And it's interesting, you know, you there's no sign of fire pretty much all the way up to Duffy Lake. And then you get to Duffy Lake and go just beyond it. And all of a sudden you're in a different world because that's where the B&B complex, everything about the forest changes at that point. You go past Mowich Lake and then down into the, the basin. The lakes themselves are still pretty crispy. There's, you know, uh, white snags kind of everywhere. There's, you know, all the the greenery growing up. Um, I think the most interesting thing for me as I enter that area, there's two things that strike me. There are a few like islands that didn't burn in the fire. Like this area burned very hot. And in fact, it all burned in about like one night during a big blow up of the B&B. But there are a few islands of trees that didn't didn't burn at all and you hike through a few of them and so you go from like all these snags into just like totally intact forest for just a little bit and that's pretty weird uh but another interesting thing is the kind of dwarf forest that's starting to grow up so you know the trees that have that are like you know 18 19 years old now um they come up you like feel like you're in the land of lilliputians because it comes up to like your hip or something like that and all the trees are about that that size because they you know, all sprouted around the same time. Um, you know, it's a nice place to visit, though. I mean, a lot of people are kind of rediscovering that area. At one point, it was the most po- one of the most popular spots in the Jefferson. And then after the fire, you know, less people were going there. But it's a pretty interesting place to explore. So, Matt, what sticks out to you about the, the Eight Lakes Basin? Um, there's just a lot going on there, I feel like. The lakes. Yeah. That's what sticks out to me. It, so... The Eight Lakes Basin has some of the nicer backcountry lakes in the wilderness, and that's saying something. I, I really love Blue Lake, especially. Um, the name is not a misnomer. It's quite beautiful, even after the fire. I There's just so much. It's a complex area, and you know some of the lakes burned uh, less severely than others. And you know the, the, the contrast between all of that is, is quite interesting. There's a, a really great viewpoint of the other two lakes that you can access by trail um, between Jorn and Blue Lakes, basically. And you can just climb up the rocks. It's pretty easy if you, you know, if you watch your step and you reach a spot right above uh, Jorn Lake and you can look down and see, you know, several hundred feet down are the other two lakes in the Eight Lakes Basin that you can access. And then everything else on all sides of the wilderness as well. That's my favorite spot in that area. I know exactly the spot you're talking about because you suggested that I go there when I was working on a story about the anniversary of the B&B complex. And it just it gives you such a good feel for uh, the the fire scar out there. Like you can really see it. It sticks out almost like um, a lake in itself, like the fire scar is like a lake within like this wider area because it's so defined. Like you can see exactly where the fire was compared to areas that didn't burn. And uh, yeah, that's it's a really it's a great view to get just like a sweep of the whole area yeah absolutely i i you know there's not an easy way to get to the eight lakes basin and and yeah you're right it was one of the most popular places in the wilderness before the fires before the fire and i wouldn't be surprised if it in time becomes again one of the most popular spots it you know you've got a lot of space to play there Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of i mean you can find privacy if you need but it's 
it, it's truly uh, it's a beautiful place and I, I i'm looking forward to going back i actually have planned a uh, hike to go back there probably in early october i think right. this year yeah actually when i was just up at duffy lake trailhead there was a decent amount of people who are who are headed there so i think it is kind of becoming one of those places people are going back to but all right why don't you take us uh to your number three pick uh what oh. you got for us Oh, um, I, I hesitated to even talk about this, but um, <laughs> so my favorite place in the entire wilderness is actually not Jefferson Park. That would be number two. My favorite place in the entire wilderness is a place called Table Lake, and it's deep, 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 deep in the wilderness. And so we're talking about the B&B. Table Lake has narrowly avoided several major fires. Um, it's narrowly avoided the B&B where it's just below Bear Butte. And Bear Butte, the fire that became the B&B on the north side, burned over the Jefferson Lake Trail below Table Lake. And it narrowly avoided the Lion's Head Fire, which burned south again to Bear Butte and stopped there. So it's, uh, and other among other fires too. It's everything you would like about the Jefferson Wilderness, but it's a special place because it's so deep in the wilderness that a lot of people don't go there. And I mean, you can you can it's it's a minimum nine mile hike from every direction, and the easiest way to get there is actually my number four pick, Carl Lake. But there's other ways too. The Jefferson Lake Trail is still one of the other primary ways to get there, and you can also access it from the west if you uh, know what you're doing. And I'll just leave it at that. But what makes it so special is beyond the fact that it hasn't burned, the lakes are very. They're spring-fed. There, there's actually multiple lakes there, and they're spring-fed. Um, so there's no, there aren't, there isn't a lot of water flowing into it other than out of the rocks around the lake, and it's very close to Jefferson. So you've got a great view in certain parts of the area, and it's just very serene and tranquil, and not very popular because of how far it ta- how long it takes to actually get in there. Nine miles is a lot for most people, even in one day, all the all the way of backpacking in. So generally, people only visit it if they're in really good shape or if they're on longer treks through the wilderness. Gotcha. Well, that sounds like a, a cool one. And it actually it's it's interesting because, you know, with some of these these hidden gems, like they do have this extra level of protection now with the permit system uh, that's gone in. And one of the reasons the new permit system came in is actually a product of success at what is my number four pick, and that is Pamelia Lake, uh, Grizzly Peak, and Hunts Cove. If you're curious about the history of why this new permit system came in that was designed to limit the number of people that visit, it is because of success in the 1990s at Pamelia Lake and Obsidian Trail, which is up in the Three Sisters. Uh, the Forest Service was seeing overuse at Pamelia Lake, which is a very short hike. It's only 2.2 miles and people are kind of overusing it. And so they put in this hard permit system and it leveled out the use and, and the area kind of thrived. And it was based on that success that they sort of expanded it uh, this year to include all three of these wilderness areas. So anyway, Pamelia Lake is interesting for a number of reasons. It's uh got a special place in the heart of a lot of kids because it's really one of the spots where parents bring their kids for their first backpacking trip. And what you do, you start at the Pamelia Lake Trailhead, and it's only 2.2 miles to get, you know, through beautiful old growth forest along Pamelia Creek with these, you know, kind of cascading small waterfalls to Pamelia Lake, which is just a pretty mountain lake with campsites around it. There's a great view of Jefferson uh, over the top of it. It's good for swimming. Um, But then, like, beyond the lake, there's other good stuff to do. You can climb Grizzly Peak, which rises right overhead and gives you a a knockout view of Mount Jefferson. Uh, Or you can head all the way up to Hunts Cove, uh, which has a few more alpine lakes and views of Jefferson. And the entire area is pretty enchanted. And for wildfires, it hasn't been touched by them. And I remember going there earlier this year. It was so nice to just be in that closed canopy and that you know feeling that old growth emerald feel there but it only almost didn't happen so the 2017 whitewater fire came really really close to burning down into this canyon the whitewater fire uh, if you remember was a huge deal at the time because it, it ignited in 2017 just a few weeks before the total solar eclipse I mean, thousands of people were coming, planning to come to the Mount Jefferson area to see the eclipse because it was right in the path of totality. 
And then the Whitewater fire just ruined everything, you know, despite efforts of the Forest Service, it, it grew and, you know, was throwing up smoke um, and they closed that whole area down. Actually, some of the craziest photos I remember from that time period, uh, you know, August of 2017, were uh, helicopters dipping out of the lakes in Jefferson Park to go and drop water on this fire. And, you know, they just didn't catch it. It got downhill. Uh, it became fairly controversial. I wrote a lot of detailed stories about how the fire, the Forest Service fought it or didn't fought it. But anyway, it had exploded to over 10,000 acres by late August, really put into damper on that eclipse. And, you know, at one point, we were really worried that it was going to drop down and burn into the, you know, Pamelia Lake Valley. So fire crews put in a big fire line just to the north of Pamelia Creek. You could, you could see it on these old maps right above the really steep ridge to try and stop the fire before it got there. And it worked. You know, the fire burned right up to the fire line, right up to the ridge and and stopped. And if it would have spilled down, I mean, it would have spilled right down into that valley. But it didn't happen. And so you can go check out Pamelia Lake now, you know, totally green and intact. I haven't, you know, it's interesting. I haven't been to Pamelia Lake in several years. And uh, I remember, you know, you mentioned that was a place that um, that's very popular for families to take their kids. That was actually one of the first places I ever visited in the wilderness. And uh, I, I just remember really thinking it was beautiful. And uh, all the cascades along the creek below the lake, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And I haven't been there in several years. I just, I haven't. It's been focusing on other places and it's popular and I often tend to avoid the popular places whenever mm. possible, but I, it's really quite beautiful. And that's another place I plan on visiting this fall. I think you'll appreciate it just for the only sense that like you can go there and not think about wildfires. Like that was yeah. what stuck out to me. Like you go there and like the length of the hike and even up Grizzly Peak, you see no evidence of wildfires yeah. whatsoever. Um, and, and pretty much everywhere else, you'll at least see hints of it, even in the places that aren't, that aren't burned. So, Matt, where are you taking us? You were up to your number four pick. Uh, where's the next spot? Well, so it's in the same area as Table Lake, um, what I was just talking about. So Carl Lake um, and Table Lake both are actually very close to Pamelia and Hunts Cove. They're just on the other side of the ridge, so that it, it seemed like they were actually a far, far distance away because hiking between the two would take a while. But Carl Lake is another of the nicest lakes in the wilderness, and it truly... Carl, you hike through the B&B scar for the first couple miles. And then it's that's the amazing thing about areas that have burned. You know, sometimes there's kind of a transition zone where you start seeing some some evidence of burn. In Carl, it's like you literally, you just hike out of the burn and you're in intact, beautiful, lush forest. It's quite remarkable. And then, you know, you get to Carl. Carl, like, is 10 miles round trip, but only 1,000 feet of elevation gain. And you get to Carl... And it's just this deep blue lake that's so tucked away in its basin. There are no views. You're just It's just a lake in a basin. And it's a wonderful place to backpack. There are a lot of campsites. And the swimming, I actually don't know how to swim. But the swimming I hear is quite excellent. Cool. All right. Well, that's, uh, we're going to take one more quick break. When we return, we're going to round out the podcast with um, our last two picks of our favorite spots in the Jefferson Wilderness. So join us for those last two. All right. Our newest sponsor is Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean beach, ancient forest, and a shocking number of beautiful places you might never have heard of, all centered around towns like Manzanita, Pacific City, and Tillamook. This is a beautiful area to visit, and the best way to plan a trip here is by looking at their newly created Trails and Recreation map. The map features 800 different sites from campgrounds to beaches to hiking trails. My favorite thing about the map is that it breaks down activities into 13 categories. So say you're looking for a campsite. Just click on the drop-down menu and 22 different campsites appear, and you can get information on each one. If you're looking for a hike or a way to get on the water, the map has 40 different trails and 48 boat ramps all laid out on an easy-to-navigate digital map. To find the map and get started, visit TillamookCoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. All right, welcome back. So for my final pick, I'm going to go with what I think is sort of an under-the-radar hike, but I really like it because it's so close and so scenic, and that is Maxwell Butte. 
If that name sounds familiar, uh, it's because the hike starts just past the snow park of the same name. I, I think the snow park is actually probably more popular than the hike itself. And the hike is uh, 9.7 miles, so just right about 10 miles round trip with uh, 2,600 feet of climb. But it takes you through great old growth forest without any fire scars, past two pretty little ponds, and then up to this summit with great views that include everything from Mount Hood all the way to the Three Sisters. Three Finger Jack in particular is like right in front of your face. You're just looking directly at it. And anyway, I like it because it's just right off Highway 22. It's easy. It's quick to reach. It's beautiful. And for me, it's just like the perfect day hike. If I want to, if I have people visiting and we want to go on like a quick day hike, you know, Maxwell Butte is going to be on the list of places that I want to check out. So any thoughts on, on Maxwell before uh, you take us home with your final pick? Maxwell is a great view. You are correct about that. I, I'll never forget the the first time I did the hike, I went to actually the only time I did the hike. I, I was with a group of friends and we were supposed to go to Triangulation Peak and um, long story short, we did not. And Triangulation, of course, is in one of the areas that's closed by the lion's head. But um, so we went to Maxwell instead because I'd been meaning to check it out for my book, 101 Hikes in the Majestic Mount Jefferson Region. And it was 2015, that infamous summer of 2015. And it was so humid. We got to the top. And it was threatening thunderstorms. And as we all know, being on top of a mountain, it's not a good place to be in a thunderstorm. And this was like, it was late June, but the conditions were more like early August. That was a strange year. It didn't, for um, reference, that was the year that it almost did not snow in the mountains at all. So it was, the, everything was just off. It was very hot and dry that summer. But even in spite of that, I think that made me appreciate the view even more because we could hear, we could still see all the mountains and we could hear a little rumble of thunder, but thankfully no lightning. And seeing Three Finger Jack just right there and seeing dark blue clouds kind of swirling over the Three Sisters to the south, it was a very memorable experience. Mm -hmm. And that that is a hike where, you know, it is almost a perfect day hike if you love great views. And uh, that's another one I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to getting back to sometime soon. I think it what sticks out to me, and I, you know, I've done it twice, but it, it was it's been a little while. But you're in the forest almost all the way up. Like a lot of hikes, like you start to get hints of what you're going to see and things like that. But I, one thing I remember about Maxwell is like you get to the top, you pop out, and then all of a sudden you can see everything, like literally everything in the Cascade Range, like from as far north as you can see to as far south. Um, so on a clear day, it's it's probably even farther. But I, it was a, it was a fire lookout at one point, and and you can definitely understand why they would pick that point. It's like the perfect spot to kind of get your bearings and see see where you are. Oh yeah, you're making me want to go back right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, one last pick for you, uh, Matt. Uh, where are you bringing us with your fifth and final pick? So I I, I have focused. Um, um, so Jefferson Lake, Table Lake are both fairly obscure. Um, and Carl Lake is not that obscure, but, you know, not necessarily always in the radar of folks on the uh, west side of the Cascades. But um, the last place I'm finishing with here is Canyon Creek Meadows, which with Jefferson Park being closed, I would argue is now the most popular hike in the wilderness area. And it was certainly one of the harder permits for me to get. I just went there about a month ago and it was truly um, everything that I had wanted it to be and everything that I thought it could be again. So for reference, Canyon Creek Meadows is a basin on the north side of Three Finger Jack, right at the foot of the mountain. And to access it, you have to drive over Sandy M Pass, or unless you're in Sisters, then you drive up towards Sandy M Pass. And you follow this bumpy gravel road until you reach Jack Lake, where there used to be a campground and there is no longer. And from there, it's a pretty easy hike overall with every side trip possible. It's only 7.5 miles and like 1,500 feet of elevation gain. So most hikers can do it. And you arrive at just these spectacular meadows beneath the base of Three Finger Jack. And from there, you can follow. It's an unofficial trail, but I mean, it's incredibly obvious. Follow uh, a steep trail up to the uh, moraine at the base of Three Finger Jack's, I guess it would be now former glacier. I don't know if it's actually um, a, a living glacier anymore. And at the base of the where the glacier, the, the moraine at the, at the foot of the glacier, is a turquoise lake that's that color because it's glacial silt, meltwater from glacial from a glacier with 
full of glacial silt that makes it turquoise. And in that area, especially these days, now and more and more, you see mountain goats. So it's a great place to see mountain goats. Obviously, you should give them their space and leave them alone. And then you can follow a trail up to uh, a pass, a very rocky pass directly beneath the cliffs of Three Finger Jack. It's just an absolutely spectacular place to visit. And, you know, in, in July and August, the wildflowers are phenomenal. They weren't that great this year, I think, because of the heat wave. But in years past, they've been amazing for much of the summer. And it's just a very special place that uh, reminds you again and reminds me again that Mount Jefferson Wilderness isn't just Mount Jefferson. It's everything else around it. And Three Finger Jack is a special place in Canyon Creek Meadows, and nobody would dispute this, is the best hike on Three Finger Jack. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, the hike escaped the, the ravages of the B&B for the most part, even though the fire started not far from Canyon Creek Meadows. Uh, the fact that the the meadows themselves are in a deep, deep basin helped protect them from fire. So, and it's also protected by the fact that you can't access it from the PCT easily. Mm-hmm. So you can only access it from the east for the most part, unless you're willing to hike a long ways out of your a long distance out of your way. Yeah, it's you know for me, it's always been on the top two or three hikes in the entire wilderness, even from the moment I first did it in September of 1994 when I was 13. Gotcha. Well, that's that's a that's a great one to to end on. Um, I do want to ask you one one more question, though. Um, I you know when as you're thinking about uh, hikes that are, are currently closed, is there one that that you're excited to to get back to and kind of see? Um, I guess for me, it's it's Triangulation Peak and Boca Cave, um, just because I went there right after the Whitewater Fire because the Whitewater Fire burned all the way up essentially to Triangulation Peak and stopped. And so there was this very obvious demarcation of green forest on this side and burn forest on this side. And and Boca Cave was sort of like right on there as well. So I'm sort of curious to see what it looks like with like a double burn, I guess. And like if there's still that demarcation uh, between. Them. So that's that's the area that I'm most excited to get back to for whatever reason. Is there any spot in the closed northern area that you really want to get back to and just kind of see how it looks or just to get back there and, and see, you know, just to be there again. Is everywhere an answer? <laughs> it but can be. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I will comment on triangulation briefly. Um, so my favorite way to access triangulation, and this is actually not my pick, but my favorite way to access triangulation wasn't the short way. It was the long way via wild cheap meadow. And I really want to see that, but that's actually not my pick. I just, I'm a little worried that it might be, that trail may never be reopened hmm. because of how devastating the fire is. And Wild Sheet Meadow is a beautiful place to, to hang out. But actually the place that I would pick, it's actually two places, but they're on the same ridge, would be Bear Point and Park Ridge on the north side of the wilderness. Park Ridge will be reopened. I am not worried about that because the PCT crosses right over it. And I assume the view south into Jefferson Park will still be the best view in the state as far as I'm concerned, because if Jefferson Park basically didn't burn, then Park Ridge, even if the hike to it has now just charred, the view itself will be great. But I'm really worried to see Bear Point and really anxious to see Bear Point. Bear Point is a place that had been under the radar of pretty much everyone. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the other best view in the wilderness, even better than Maxwell, even better than South Cinder, which is amazing, even better than Bear Butte, um, which is also amazing. Uh, Bear Point, not to be confused with Bear Butte, Bear Point was a a knob on the ridge that goes west and northwest from Park Ridge. And so you would access it from the South Brighton Bush Trail, which that area has burned repeatedly also in the Whitewater and now the Lion's Head. But Bear Point, you would huff it up this steep trail, this steep rocky trail in an area that had burned in the 60s. And you'd get to the top and the view of Mount Jefferson would be just eye-popping just eye-popping and that area i hadn't done that hike since the whitewater or no i actually did do that hike two years ago and it was okay the burn scars from the whitewater weren't too bad but i'm really anxious to see it in the after the lion's head burned everything else around it and that area particularly based on the the fire maps that i've seen burned really really hot so i'm really anxious to see what it looks like now because that would be the absolute best place even better than triangulation to mm-hmm. see the progression of the lion's head fire. And so I'm going to repeatedly and loudly request that that trail be restored and reopened because it is absolutely one of the best views and an absolutely special place 
and I, I I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, it actually hurts that you mentioned that one in particular. Bear Point was the hike that for I would plan to do over and over and over, and something would come up, and I never made it. Like it's, I, it's the best. It's the I, best. I know, and I would hear that, and I'm like, you got to do it, and it's close to my house. There's no reason not to, and I just never made it. And man, I I really regret that. And I've actually thought about that in getting to other places. Like I hadn't been to Sanium Lake for whatever reason. And so I just went there because I was like, I need to see as many of the places as I can because I'm just, you never know what's going to happen. This was fantastic, Matt. I appreciate so much you sharing your deep knowledge and deep love of this area. Once again, Matt Reeder is the author of 101 Hikes in the Majestic Mount Jefferson region. So thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.